What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today, we have a really exciting interview uh, with George, the CEO of Rally, a new startup that is securitizing collectibles and sort of disrupting this entire collectible and art marketplace that I've been really interested in and focused on. I think there's so much action going on here. They just announced uh, a new funding round as well, expanding into a bunch of new categories. So really excited to learn more about the company. Um, George, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so um, Rally was started about five years ago. And for those who don't know about the product or, or what you do, can you uh, just break it down a little bit for us? Sure. I mean, we um, we securitize uh, rare and collectible items um, across a number of different categories. And we turn those items into SEC registered securities. And then we offer those on a fractional basis to retail investors and retail investors uh, can participate in offerings for those items and then trade uh, the shares of those items on our secondary market. Really cool. And I know the company started with classic cars, I believe, which traditionally was such an asset where it seems like, you know, the pain point was really high. Like everybody loves collectible cars. Like it's this thing in pop culture we all want to be a part of, but there's no way to access it. I'm not going to pay a hundred grand for a car and then like keep it in some garage somewhere. Like that's ridiculous. So um, I, can you talk a little bit about why you started with cars and how you've sort of methodically expanded and sort of the thought process behind expanding to new categories? Yeah, I mean, look, I think you just I think you just nailed it. I mean, the founders of the company, um, you know, Chris Bruno, one of the founders, talks all of the time about um, how the only difference between Chris uh, in 2016 and Jerry Seinfeld in 2016 was the fact that Jerry Seinfeld had twenty five million dollars to drop on five or six Porsches in, uh, you know, in the in, in the classic car auction in, in you know, Pebble Beach or, or, or wherever, right? And so um, it was absolutely that thesis, right? That people love these items. Um, but the number of people, to your point, that can plunk down 100 grand or 200 grand or, or, you know, or even, you know, less than that in some cases, you know, is, is, is very small. And so that was the genesis of the idea. And I think all along, uh, the thought process was that cars are not the only high value collectible item and that this could expand. And so, um, you know, the, the expansion into, into new asset classes was really, um, was really inevitable. And, you know, after sort of perfecting the model um, over the course of a year or a year, year and a half or so, uh, you know, the team expanded into these other asset classes and, you know, and sure enough, you know, we're at a point now in popular culture um, where collectibles are ascendant and, you know, the vision that, you know, that Robin, Chris and Max had is, is you know, is, is coming true. Awesome. And can you walk us through a little bit, just an example, let's use a classic car. How does it actually work? Like, does Rally acquire that car and what sort of process do you do to, you know, legally securitize it and then be able to offer that for such a small amount to, to people through an app? Sure. I mean, there's a number of ways that we acquire um, acquire the assets, and without getting into all of that detail, in essence, the way it works is we acquire or we get um, an asset. Let's take a car as an example. Um, uh, you know, either we either purchase it or we get it on consignment, and then we take that item and we register that item as a security. And that's, there's an, there's an SEC regulation called regulation A and regulation A plus that allows us to securitize these items and then offer them to non, non accredited investors. And so 
you know, the item is registered as a security, just as you register securities for, you know, a company or any other securitized item. And then the shares are offered in an initial offering where an initial group of investors buys into that offering. And then once, you know, once they, once they buy into that offering, they own a share or a number of shares and then can buy and sell and sell and trade those shares. So it's really, um, it's really a process that's very similar to creating, you know, a security that's based, you know, based around a company. Largely, it's, it's identical. It's a very familiar metaphor. And then when investor buys into these securities, what type of liquidity options do they have? And sort of how does that work? Does it trade every day like a stock or, or how does that sort of unfold if I want to cash out eventually? Yeah, currently it doesn't trade every day. Currently we trade items, every, you know, periodically 30, 60, 90 days. Um, what, we're, uh, what we're in the middle of working on now and what we will bring to the market over the course of the next, you know, couple of months is a continuous five days a week, very similar to market hours, you know, trading system where all of our assets will trade. But basically the liquidity is trading in these, we call them trading windows. And then um, on a number of occasions, what happens is someone will come to us and offer to buy the entire item, um, almost, you know, always at a premium, obviously. And what we do is we put that offer to vote to the shareholders of the item. So the shareholders vote yes or no, um, there's been cases where they voted to accept these offers. There's been cases where they've where they've rejected them. But we basically listen to the shareholders in that case. And in the case of a buyout, we you know we return the cash along with the along with the cash premium to to all the investors in the item. Really cool. And I'm curious, like, how big is this market? Because up until this point, like, it's sort of been really like, it's already a big market collectible cars and all this collectible stuff, but it hasn't been securitized. And so you have to think that securitizing these assets will unlock like a tidal wave of liquidity. If more people can buy it, supply and demand, this market will grow. And I think just in general, the people's willingness to buy collectible cars and assets like that increases if there are more marketplaces to provide liquidity. So it's this kind of cool self-fulfilling prophecy and flywheel is more, I see all like rally is one of a few players like StockX doing it for sneakers. And so there's this whole tidal wave of liquidity coming to all these assets. And I'm curious, like, do you have any uh, ideas? I know the sneaker resale market is like a few billions of dollars. Do you have any size on like the collectible, uh, maybe just cars or the collectible overall market? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly hard to say what fractionalization of it on its own is, but I can tell you that there's a couple of different data points that you can use to triangulate this, right? So on one hand, um, the amount of the amount of wealth in collectibles in just high net worth individuals' hands in the country is $1.2 trillion, according to a couple of annual surveys that are done by Deloitte and Credit Suisse, right? So that's just assets in the hands of high net worth. So you can do the math on what's in the rest of the country's hands, right? High net worth is defined as people with $50 million of, of net worth or above, right? So small number of, of people. Right. Um, about two hundred and about two hundred um, and fifty uh, billion dollars of collectible assets change hands in a given year in places where we can easily track them. So auctions, both online auction houses, private sales, etc. That is almost undoubtedly undercounted by some factor, you can decide what factor that is, right? So, so the amount of sales that we know exist in a given year, you know, is a quarter trillion dollars. 
we know there's a trillion dollars plus in the hands of high net worth individuals, private individuals. And then the amount of assets in the hands of institutions or in the hands of brands is, you know, incalculable. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of supply out there. I think what fractionalization will do, and frankly, what Rally's thesis is, right? Rally's thesis is make the world a tradable asset, right? So I think what fractionalization will do is on one side, it will allow asset holders to unlock the liquidity in their assets and make a choice while doing it, right? So if you think about what an asset holder does today, an asset holder has to make a choice between the liquidity or the item, right? And fractionalizing the item or fractionalizing a part of the item can in some cases let them hold on to the asset and fractionalize a portion and get that liquidity, right? So there's another way for an asset holder to get liquidity, right? And then on the other side, to your point, the number of people that can participate in a high value asset is very, very small, right? And the number of people that want to participate and feel passionate about participating is a lot bigger than the people that can write the check for the whole item, right? So, so I think you're right. I mean, you basically nailed the thesis of the company, right? Unlock the liquidity in the asset, provide access to people who wouldn't have that access. And I think you're right. That's going to grow the market. That's going to grow the market. And does that 1.2 trillion number include art, like paintings? Because I know that's a big, or is it not including that? It's everything. It's, it's everything. It's art. It's paintings. It's sports collectibles. It's rare books. It's rare musical instruments. It's, you know, you, you name it. If you, if you think of it as collectible or rare, um, it's, you know, it's jewel, it's, you know, it's rare watches and jewelry and, uh, you know, you, you know, you name it. Um, yeah. All those categories for sure. And I think it's it's interesting that you lump them in together because as kind of a foregone conclusion, because that's I feel like a thesis I have that most people don't, which is that collectibles are art. And I feel like that world's fusing so much. But previously it's only been like like paintings are kind of put on this pedestal of art and sculptures, um, where like collectibles and classic cars and sneakers like aren't really art. Like I love sneakers. I have a bunch of Nike SBs in my closet that I'm saving. I think those are like art, but they're not really appreciated as art yet, but that's almost like why I want to buy them now. So I'm curious of like your kind of opinion on like how society and the zeitgeist is starting to view these assets, different things beyond paintings as art. Right. Well, you're going to get me in trouble with my, uh, with my recent art school graduate uh, daughter, I guess, but um, art, um, hopefully she doesn't watch this. Art, um, you know, look, I guess art's in the eye of the beholder, right? Like, like I agree with you, right? I think, uh, I think a Marvel comic book is as much art as a Picasso is, right? And I think, um, I think a one-of-a-kind baseball card or, uh, for that matter, you know, a one-of-a-kind you know, one of or one-of-one historical artifact is as much art as something that we would traditionally consider art. Um, and I think it's what you value, right? And so I think for one person that's sneakers, for another person that's rare books, for another person that's coins, right? Um, and so I think, I think it's less about, for me anyway, trying to pigeonhole it in some category, is it art or is it not? Or are we viewing it as art or not viewing it as art? And, and more say, is it something that I see as valuable and something that I'm passionate about. And I think that's really the intersection, right? If it's, if it's a high value item, it's something that's seen and can be, and can be sort of 
viewed, even if it's not something you're into yourself as, as an item with value and it's something you're passionate about. It's like those intersections are the things that, that are the things that belong on rally. Interesting. And I'm so curious to hear more about the new category, your new categories you're expanding to, because my personal uh, collecting portfolio is all about like uh, the boring company flamethrowers, which are technically not allowed to resell. So I don't know if that's a good one for your platform, but like Tesla tequila, the Tesla short shorts, like I love those products. And I think they would be like home runs. I think they're going to be amazing collectibles down the road because like they're tied to Elon Musk's legacy. Oh, another one is the original Tesla Roadster. This is like the first time I heard about Rally. I was like, oh my God, there's like a 1500 of these Roadsters. It's like a bet on Tesla as an iconic brand blowing up the first mass market electric car. And you can still, and they're still in this trough of like, oh, it's a used sports car from 10 years ago. So it's less than, than it retailed for, even though people aren't realizing it's a collectible car. So you can get it for like a hundred G's when it's worth million like millions in the future i'm getting carried away but i like this idea of elon musk's kind of like weird merch like flamethrowers or tesla tequila so i'm curious if you'll ever have products like that on the platform um or but otherwise just in general like what what kind of categories you're expanding to yeah i mean look i think uh, you know i think the original tesla roadster is like right at it's like right in our sweet spot right like to your point um to me, what makes it what makes an item or a category a good item or category for rally is the story and the content behind it. So an example, right, is we had um, and have um, the joystick from Buzz Aldrin's seat position in the Apollo Eleven command module. So, you know, you could you could press pause right there. And just saying that makes it cool enough, right? That's cool enough. But the story of how that ended up in our hands is even cooler than the item itself, right? And, and so I'll, I'll tell the story real quickly if you want to hear it. It's um, yeah. basically, um, as the legend goes, these, these joysticks were mounted and presented to uh, Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, and Michael Collins. And they, in sort of a statement about the fact that they felt like, you know, they were doing their duty for the country, they they kind of turned them down, said they didn't need the memento of the of the of the flight, right? So whether this part is true or not, I don't know, but it's the legend. In any case, it didn't, it wasn't in Buzz Aldrin's hands ever. And it was, it was found in a drawer by a NASA engineer who was cleaning out his desk in the eighties. He was retiring who I guess apparently worked on the Apollo program and, you know, lo and behold, through auction makes its way out into the public and, you know, and makes its way to us. Right. So like, that's a story, you know, how much of it is apocryphal or not. We, I guess we'll, we'll never know, but that's a story you can't make up. Right. And that's a, that's just a cool story. Right. And I think, you know, your example of the original Tesla Roadster is a cool story in and of itself, right? He captures this time. I don't know if you remember the first time you saw a Tesla Roadster in the wild, right? But you probably remember that moment. That was a cool moment. And there was, you know, there was a story being told there. We didn't know where the story was going to end, right? But, you know, in whatever it was, 2006, 2007, right, that story um, was sort of just being written. So it's certainly something where you look back on that story and say it's it's not only is this important because it's an important piece of technology 
and it was a harbinger of what was to come. But you know, there's an interesting just story about how how you know it came to be behind it, right? So I, so yeah, I mean, I I think I think that's exactly the kind of thing. And I think um, you know, in in categories that we want to expand to, it's the same thing, right? It starts with the story, right? So you know, in our latest press release, we talked about um, you know, we talked about things like art, we talked about things like NFTs, we talked about things like real estate, right? And whenever we bring up real estate, people say, well, what, what does that really mean? And, you know, the way I view rally vis-a-vis that category is, you know, we never want to be the place where you're investing, you're just a real estate speculator and you're investing in real, some nondescript block of apartments, you know, in Park Slope in Brooklyn, no disrespect to Park Slope, right? Right. But, you know, we're the kind of place where the, the real estate we're talking about is, for example, Tolkien, you know, why, and these are all made up examples, but, um, you know, why, why couldn't a, a fan of Tolkien invest in Tolkien's house that he wrote The Hobbit in, right? Or why couldn't a music fan, a jazz fan invest in John Coltrane's house in, in, in Philadelphia where he wrote Giant Steps, right? Or someone who's a fan of, you know, counterculture, you know, invest in, you know, a portion of the Chelsea Hotel where that's being available, right? So it's those kinds of things, right? All of those things have stories and provenance and richness and passion behind them. It's those kind of assets that we'll bring to the platform, regardless of the category that you would, uh, you know, the, 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 the category. And if the owners of the Chelsea Hotel are listening to this, they, they, they can send an email to george at rallyroad.com and we'll, uh, we'll talk. Another one is like the Space Needle because I'm I'm from Seattle, so I'm thinking like that's a f- kind of funny iconic uh, piece of real estate. And uh, you mentioned NFTs. Um, I'm so curious what your take is on NFTs. I actually made created an NFT of my first ever YouTube video and auctioned that off a few months ago to kind of like sell my first digital collectible. So I'm so fascinated by this space and just love crypto. And I'm curious like how Rally is an IRL collectible company. I guess it's really easy to just. You know, I'm thinking like Joy World, who's this really cool NFT artist, has like these these incredible 3D like VR works that go for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that starts to get to the threshold of like a classic car where it's too hard for one person to buy. And then this is even cooler than a classic car. Maybe it's kind of the same, but like there's a VR world where I can monetize or like there's some concert and then I can monetize this VR work, this 3D work. Like all of a sudden the security holders of, of that, you know, token or whatever could get like a dividend based on the usefulness of these assets. So um, I don't know, I'm just kind of curious what, what Rally's take is on this whole NFT space. Yeah, the way, I, the way we view the space is it's an asset class, just like any other asset class, right? And so again, you just said it, right? Some of these NFTs are getting to the point, again, like any collectible asset, they are, they are now behaving like any collectible asset, right? Where at the high end, the, the one of one examples and the, and the most brilliant examples of you know, what a great NFT is, right? They're, they're out, they're outside the realm of the normal person, right? So again, you know, it's exactly those kind of assets that Rally was built for. And we're, we're not viewing NFTs any differently than that. That's the way we're going to think about bringing NFTs, right? What are the best, what are the one of ones and what are the ones where we can, we can bring access to, to an asset, in this case, an NFT that our investors otherwise would, would, you know, would never be able to touch. And, and, you know, and, and it has a wide sort of set of passionate people that, uh, you know, that are fans of it. So, so for sure, I mean, we're thinking of it again, like we're, that's what we think the beauty of models. We're thinking of it as, you know, this just, it's an asset, not just an asset class. It's an asset class. Really cool. And to play devil's advocate a little about this whole collectible space, 
you know, where does this all go? Like, what's the philosophy of this asset that as time goes on, always increases in value? Like, you know, watches, art, collectibles, they'll always show you this chart of like, it's an uncorrelated asset compounding at 25%, you know, in perpetuity forever, always outpacing the S&P. But it's like, where does this all go? Does it just steadily, like all old assets continue going up at this great rate and new, like, or, or is there some sort of peak psychology where like the zeitgeist relevance of this collectible watches as a whole goes down and that sort of breaks the norm of that industry like i wonder how you think through about it because we're sort of in this weird territory of like we think it has value but it's kind of all made up it's just a you know if it's a classic car it's just a piece of metal that in theory is getting less valuable by the day because it's older and less useful so how do you make you know yeah, I mean, I listen, it's interesting. If I had a dime for every time someone asked me, is this a bubble? Are we in a bubble? You know, who who knows? I mean, you 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 know, you think too much of me if you think I can predict that. If I could, I I'd be, you know, I'd be in Vegas or something. I wouldn't we wouldn't be having this conversation. But you know, look, the way I view collectibles is um and I think the beauty of collectibles is they are more concrete than people give them credit for, right? If you think about a company, a company is not an immutable object when we think about it as an investment, right? Companies can change, competitive sets can change, management teams can change, technology can come along. Like all, like all we need to do is think about BlackBerry, right? Like BlackBerry ruled the world right up until the point where it didn't, and then it was largely irrelevant right and so so those things can change the nature of most of these collectibles and, and even a classic car and a classic car is kept in the right condition certainly you know if you're driving your 64 mustang that's a different story right but you know when you think about a baseball card or you think about a rare book or a rare document right stored correctly treated in the right way the nature of those things is largely immutable a Honus Wagner baseball card is going to be the same card today as it was yesterday and as it will be tomorrow. Now, we may disagree on what the value of that card is at any given point in time, but we know what that card is. We know what the nature of that card is, and it's immutable, and it will, ne and it will never change, right? Whereas companies, which are just as, are just as make-believe as any other asset, right? We agree that a company is valuable because we all just at some point in time agree on it. Right. Um, you know, is is in a lot of ways, you know, a lot, a lot less constant and enduring potentially as as the physical nature of these assets. So, I, you know, I think that's what collectibles have going for them. Um, will they go up and down in value? Will Are we in a peak now? Will there be a trough? Sure. Maybe. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I loved about Rally when I was deciding whether to join the company or not was the very nature of the multi-category approach, right? We're not a baseball card destination. We're not an art destination. We're not a car destination, right? We view ourselves as, again, right? If it's rare, if it has value, people have passion around it, right? We're a platform where you can, you know, virtually anything that fits that bill can, can and should be on Rally. So I think, you know, the nature of the fact that there will be multiple subcategories under the general heading of rare or collectible kind of um, insulates us to a certain extent, you know, around the sort of peaks and troughs that any one kind of asset can, can go through. 
Awesome. This has been such an awesome conversation. I've, I've loved learning about it. And I'm curious, before I let you go, what, how do you see Rally evolving? Uh, you know, you just joined the, the team not too long ago. Um, maybe you could tell us a little about why you joined and why you're excited and sort of how you see everything evolving over the next few years. Yeah, I mean, I, so, you know, I, look, I joined largely because um, I wanted to do something where, um, you know, I had more of a direct impact. I, I joined a company from the Walt Disney uh the Walt Disney Company most recently before Rally. Um, love Disney and love, you know, obviously Disney's, you know, the great, you know, arguably the greatest company in the history of the entertainment industry. Um, and, and actually probably not arguably. Um, but I wanted to do something where, you know, my direct impact on a day-to-day -day basis was, you know, was more evident and I wanted to get a little bit smaller. Um, and so um, that was sort of the thesis for, for leaving Disney. And, you know, the thesis for joining Rally was, um, I really kind of passionately believe in this idea of, you know, why should, the rich, why should the rich guys and gals have all the fun, right? And this idea of being able to like get the access to these items into the hands of the normal everyday person, I think is a worthwhile, you know, it's a really sort of worthwhile mission. And I think when you think about it um, across all of these, in the trillions of dollars in, in these assets. Um, you know, I think it's an important big problem to solve. So that's why I joined. And I would say, you know, look, we're going to continue to do um, the things that have gotten us here, right? We're going to continue to add, we're going to continue to try to find the coolest assets and add them and the coolest asset categories and add those. Um, and we're really going to ramp up our, the evolution of um, our product now. We just, we just closed a $30 million a funding round um, led by um, led by Excel. Um, Ryan Sweeney's the, the partner there. They're a great partner. Uh, they're going to be a great partner. And we're going to use that money to really just sort of amp amp the product experience up and make it better and better. Make trading uh, make trading better and better, um, and just bring more liquidity and more more assets to the platform. And we think you know if we stay focused on that as the main mission, um, you know we're 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 going to be great. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. I think I'm such a big fan and I can't wait to see this grow. I've, even in the past few years since I've started following Rally, just to see you go from cars to all this and increasing your trading, it's been really, really awesome. And as someone who bought sneakers on like forums online and got scammed so many times because they weren't legit and has like been navigating this collectible world pre this mass securitization, I really appreciate the platform you're building and think it's going to make like, like you said, the little guys who are collectors, like be able to play in this market and have so much fun. And I, and I think that's really awesome. Um, so I can't wait to see how it evolves. And yeah, thank you so much. Have a great day. Yeah, of course. You too. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Peace.